coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 3rd of September, 2023. Have you forgotten? I'm going to start off with a question for you. Since you've come to know the Lord, assuming you're a believer, if you've come to know the Lord, what difference has that made in your life? Okay? And you go, oh, Pastor, I can think of a myriad of things. Well, that's fine. Take your piece of paper, turn it over on the backside, and write three. Three things that have positively influenced and impacted you because you've come to know the Lord. We'll just take a few moments. And if you're not into writing, that's okay. Run them through your brain a little bit. Think on them a little bit. reason I'm having you work on this little introduction here is because our weeks go scurrying on. And even coming to a Sunday service, which is different than maybe how you spend the rest of your week, you come and you go, okay, we've got a routine here, we've got music, we've got scripture reading, we've got a pastor who preaches, and then say, what is for lunch? <laughs> but our days go like that, right? And I just wanted to say, whoa, let's stop for a moment. Let's think on our relationship to our Lord. How has he touched our lives? How has he touched my life? Well, if you're not done writing, that's okay. You can complete the project later on at home. I just wanted to get you started on that. I'd like for us to head back in the direction of the scripture reading this morning. So if you close your Bible, you can reopen it to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Some messages that that we, when we're examining the word, we're, we're learning all sorts of technical stuff about the character and nature of our God. Some of it is building a theology as we examine uh, truths that have been laid down systematically for us by maybe the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans or something like that. This is not that kind of message. This is a message where I want you to contemplate as we go through this scripture and just reflect. This is written by David. I love the introduction. It says, of David. <laughs> just simple, of David. This is David's song. 
Some will say, you know, they play this on the instruments or written by this person or that person or gives us a setting. This one's just updated. So I want you to think in terms of this psalm, if this was of you, where you could put your name in here and you could say of Tim or of Tim or any of the rest of you. So I, I'd invite you to look here into Psalm 103. We're going to skip the first couple verses and get down to verse 3 after this word. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now when we use the word bless, most of the time we think of it as conferring something upon somebody else. Maybe a father might bless his children or someone sneezes and you go, whoa, bless you. Or the Lord bless you. And so we usually think of it as somebody who is superior, maybe not in any great capacity, but just someone who's blessing someone else. That's not what this word means. When he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, the word has a very specific meaning. It means to adore on bended knee. So when, when David is giving us this psalm, he's doing it positionally. Now, most of us, if we get a little bit older, that idea of on bended knee gets really serious. Is it, you know, it's like the, that story of the person who, who uh, dropped a, a dime on the floor and they're debating on whether they should pick it up or not. You know, because that's going to be labor intensive. So they reach into their pocket and pull out a dollar and throw it down there. Now it's worth it. <laughs> well, it's the same sort of thing when we talk about going to our knees. It was a lot easier when we were younger. But the idea here of David, it says, I come before you. I'm bending knee, Lord, just to adore you. Just to adore you. Now, we're not going to ask you to do that today. There's no kneeling rows here, so you're, you're safe. But mentally, in your heart, in your mind, you can do this. And what David is saying is, Lord, I just want to stop and adore you. I just want to show how much you need, you mean to me. So let's look and see what comes up in his themes. Now, the reason I was asking you to write a couple things down is because David came up with a couple things, and we're going to look at them, see if they match up with your list. In verse 3, he says, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals 
all your diseases. And the way that poetry is written in the Hebrew language is these verse, these two parts of that verse don't mean two separate things, they're complementary. And so when he talks about uh, forgiveness here, and that's our first word in verse 3 is forgiveness. When he forgives, he also brings about healing. And that's the idea there. Who, who forgives us, forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, all the fallout from our sin. And I just want to, as we're sort of doing a meditative type thing here, I want you to think about this because there's a, a very important word here that is easy to slide over. It's just three letters long. It says all. All. Now, we might go to the Lord in confession and we confess some failure on our part. And, and we're pretty sure the Lord will forgive us of that. But there are some things that even as I mention it right now, you can think of some sort of failure that's sort of still lingering in your heart and mind that was an embarrassment to you that you wish had never happened or that you had never made that choice or gone down that road, but you did and there it is. And Satan is good in bringing it up and reminding you. But David says, I'm here to adore you, Lord because you forgive all of my iniquities. There are some that you hold back and go, uh, I'm not sure I want to forgive you that. Maybe it's a sin that keeps you keep wrestling with and you've wrestled with on and off through your life and, and there it is and it rears its head up again and you go, what does the Lord think of me? And the psalmist David said, you forgive all my iniquities. Remember, this is David writing, so he's no slouch when it comes to sinning. He's committed murder. He's committed adultery. He's, he's numbered the troops and turned his trust from God back to what they thought that they could accomplish. There are plenty of things that could pop up in David's mind at this moment as he, as he goes before the Lord to express his adoration. And he says, and he leads out with this, you forgive all Second, verse four, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. 
we have for our second word, redemption. To be redeemed. Now in the New Testament, the word is often used as well to talk about our salvation and the idea of being purchased out of the slave market of sin. And there you were on display for anybody's bidding. And the Lord says, I'm going to pay the price and redeem you. And we know how he did that with his precious blood. And David points to redemption. And he says, redeems your life from the pit. Now, we all have different stories. And you may have a horrendous story. You may have been at the lowest, lowest point, and you wouldn't even care to bring it up and have anybody know about it. But David says, this is the nature of our God that he'll pick us up out of that pit. And what does he say? And crown us with steadfast love and mercy. Now David, we know, was a lowly shepherd out in the fields and then became king. Now he's not talking about necessarily changing our occupation here. This isn't what he's talking about. What he's talking about is our, our condition. Our condition was terrible. And you go, well, Pastor, my condition wasn't so bad. When I was growing up, me personally, growing up, I was raised in a Christian home, went to church more often than <laughs> most of my friends. And we would sing Amazing Grace. You ever sung that song? You, you know how that goes? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a what? A wretch like me. And as a teenager, I looked at that song and I go, you have got to be kidding. I am no wretch. I have never even done wretched things. And then I grew up. And I realized how much I lived according to my ways. And I left God out of the equation. And the truth be known, with his amazing grace, he saved the wretch like me, who was prideful, who is dishonest about his condition, wouldn't admit it to anybody. I'm, I'm better than that person. I'm certainly better than those. And God reached into my heart. And I can identify with David when he says, redeem me from the There's a third one here. It's found in verse 5. Where's my windshield wipers here? Anyway, verse 5. Who satisfies you 
with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So our third word is to be renewed. Renewed. This goes along with forgiveness and redemption in the sense of saying, this is the way I was. Is my life over? Is it done? Is it? And maybe you're at a point in your life where you say, you know, there's less life ahead of me than behind me. And evaluating these things, I wonder if there's any value now. And the answer is, of course there is. Because we have a God who renews us. Who says, I'm not through with you yet. I'm not done with you. And if you think that it's all over and done with and, and you're washed up or whatever terms you want to use. He says, I'm here to satisfy you with good so your youth can be renewed like eagles. I looked up that phrase. What does it mean to be renewed like eagles? And the answer may or may not be helpful to you. But eagles, uh, through their lives, molt. And they get rid of their old feathers and take on new ones. In fact, it's kind of an interesting thing if they should happen to lose a feather over here on this wing and it needs a new one, it will grow a new one over here, but also the body will kick out the feather over on this side and give them a balanced new feather over here. Renewed by being eagle. I was thinking of David, because this is a psalmist. David wanted in the worst way, as he got towards the end of his life, to build a temple for God. He says, oh man, I, I'd like to build a place for you. And God says, no, that's not for you. That's going to be for your son. So David did the next best thing. You remember what he did. He says, I may not be able to build it, but we're going to pull all the stuff together so it can be built. And then we read about that, especially in First Chronicles. And when we get to chapter 29 of First Chronicles, David has gathered the people. They've gathered all the things in preparation to build. Uh, we're going to have to go to Lowe's or anything like that. It's all going to be piled up right here ready to go. And then he offers up a prayer. Listen to his prayer. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given. Psalmist says, all the blessings that I have, I didn't earn. I didn't, 
I didn't work them. You have given me all this. You've given it to the people. And now as we give it back to you, it's really, it's been years all the time. Thank you so much for letting us have a part. So what does God do? Offers up forgiveness and redemption and renewal. As we go, there's some more to this psalm. Why, why would God do this? The psalmist reflects on that too. Is because that's the way he is. This is the nature of our God. And the first one that I want to give you is in verses 6 and 7. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. And so one of the things that descriptive of our Lord is that he is full of righteousness and justice. Full of righteousness and justice. He does that for those who are oppressed. And he makes way, and I, I was reflecting on this, he makes way as known his ways to Moses and his acts to the, the, the people of Israel. And here David, I think, is reflecting on that leader that God had chosen. And we know the story of Moses, how he's raised in Pharaoh's court, in Pharaoh's house. He spent 40 years there, and then he was out in the wilderness for, for 40 years, and God called him to go back and deliver his people. We know the, the plagues. We know the deliverance through uh, the Red Sea. We know the giving of the commandments and the whole terrible experience with the golden calf and all those kind of things and how often Moses was challenged in his authority and he didn't want the job in the first place, if you remember, at the burning bush. Lord, don't pick me, pick somebody else. And David, as he probably reflected on those things, he says, he knows, he has made known his, his ways to Moses. Moses, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to be here for you. And if you are oppressed by this people, if you have all sorts of issues and problems, and he did, remember? They were thirsty and they wanted water. They were hungry and God gave them quail to eat and all these things. And I'm sure that Moses wanted to throw in the towel more than once. Anybody says, God knows the way of Moses. And he knows the acts of the people too. He knows the situation. How about in your life? Does he know what you're going through? Do you know, does he know who is in opposition to you? Certainly he does. He goes on from there. David says, and the Lord is merciful and gracious. And that is our second phrase. This is the way he is. He's merciful and gracious. 
when dealing with our failures. We already talked about this somewhat when we talked about forgiveness. He just lays it out a little bit more in verses 8 and following. When he says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgression from us. So I gave you four sub-points here. Our God, thankfully, is not easily riled. Can you imagine what it would be like to serve a God with a short temper? And David said, and you could almost hear it under his breath, I've put him to the test many a time, and I'm thankful that he's not easily riled. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The steadfast love that's referred to there is the Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament word agape, that word of commitment and desiring the best for someone and investing in others. He says that's the kind of love that God loves. And that's the second word. Not easily riled, but abounding in committed love. Abounding. Not doling it out just a little bit at a time, but all sorts of heaps and gobs of love. In verse 10 it says, It does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And our third concept there is, does not match his discipline to our sins. That's a big sigh of relief. David, in reflecting on that, adultery with Bathsheba, murder of her husband, some of those things you you, you go, I'm glad the Lord doesn't requite judgment same measure that we committed. He forgives us. And then the last one. It says, For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us, those who fear him as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. He disassociates our sin from us. And if you don't think that's a big thing, if you don't think that's a big thing, think on this. 
Now, I don't know your situation. I'm just going to say it, and you're going to fill in the blank. Don't speak it out loud. Is there somebody who immediately comes to mind you got something against? Maybe somebody who's done something to you? Or maybe, maybe something that you've done to somebody else who then is hurt by what you've done. Think of walking down the street and seeing that person coming the opposite direction down the street. What's your response? You, well, I really meant to go to that story across the street. <laughs> I'm going to avoid that person. Would it be possible, having disassociated their sin from that person, that you could go up and greet them? Because that's already been forgiven? Because we've already talked about forgiveness? Have you disassociated their sin from them? He said, as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heaven over the earth, that's what he's done with our sin. When he looks at us, having forgiven us, he immediately doesn't go to our sin. Why? That sin has already been moved off. The third one, verse 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So we talked about that his nature he is righteous and just. He is merciful and gracious. And he's compassionate. God is no cold fish when it comes to us. I think my, my best picture of that, and I won't have to say but a few words and you'll know what I'm talking about. Think of the prodigal. The prodigal leaves dad, takes his his uh, inheritance before he deserved it or was even should have gotten it but the father gave it to him and went off wasted and riotous living now coming back humbled smelling of pig slop and his father sees him afar off and he could say ha there's that son of mine not got anything to do with him in fact in the Hebrew culture it would have been outlandish for the father to do what he did as recorded in that account for he saw him afar off and he ran to him and he embraced him now that's a New Testament story I'll give you 
But that's in the heart of David here in the song. My God embraces me. He knows me altogether. And he embraces me. that we are but dust. And I'm going to stop there except to take you back to verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, David says, Bless the Lord. I adore you, Lord, on bended knee. All my soul all that's within me. I bless his holy name again. Adore on bended knee. Your holy name, Lord. Bless the Lord on bended knee. Adore you on bended knee. That's me, Lord. And forget not all the things we just talked about. This is something I need to review over and over and over again. This is the nature of our God. This is how he treats me. And I would love if you would put your name there. Instead of a psalm of David, we'd say a psalm Tim. And you can insert your name. And I thought, how fitting that we would talk about this and then come to the Lord's table. Because at the Lord's table, what we're doing is reflecting on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, where he offered up himself, the, the sinless one, for us as sinners. He made it possible to have our sins forgiven and that we would become joint heirs with Jesus Christ through faith. And we come to celebrate that in the elements of the Lord's Supper. In a few moments, we will participate. The Lord's Supper is available to all who are believers. You don't have to be a member of this congregation or not. But Scripture talks about partaking in a worthy manner. And now you know what a worthy manner is to come with full awareness of what he has done on your behalf. And hence the, the passage in Psalm 103, just to remind you of where you were and where you are and how you got there. And that's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. So I'm going to move down to the table I'm going to invite you to go to the Lord privately, offer up thanksgiving. If there's things that you need to confess, remember, he is gracious and compassionate and long in giving out forgiveness. And say, Lord, I just want to be pure before you. Cleanse me of my sin. 
and I want to come and worship you. So we'll give you those moments, and I'll lead you in prayer, and we'll share the elements. Heavenly Father, we join in with the psalmist when he said, bless the Lord. We adore you on bended knee. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Where would we be if we didn't have you? When your son came, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because we already stood under condemnation. But he came to redeem. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to share in this few moments around the Lord's table, we do it with full recognition that apart from your gracious act of love and the sacrifice of your Son on our behalf, we would still be in our sins and, and just waiting for the final judgment in your presence. But because of your gracious gift, not ignoring our sin, but looking at it closely and then dealing with it, and then touching our lives so that we would put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We come now with thanksgiving in our heart for all that you are and all you have done on our behalf. We give thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. We're going to have the men come here in a moment. We're going to be sharing these elements, the broken and leavened bread representing Jesus Christ, body broken for us, the fruit of the vines and grape juice representing his blood. That's all they are, is just some broken matzah and some grape juice. But they speak to us, don't they? Just as the psalmist speaks to us with words, we have these visual pictures to remind us of where we were and what it cost to get us to the place of our salvation. So men, if you would come, please. We're going to have the men pass them out these elements, and if you hold them all, I'll all partake together. So I might give you this in prayer, please. Father God, again, we thank you and we praise you for the time we can come together as one body to give you praise and thanks that we get to share this time with the symbol of the breaking of the bread and the taking of the grape juice, which is your blood shed for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great sacrifice of pouring out upon us and let our thanks be a pouring out of our lives upon those all around us throughout the community and our families and everywhere who need to see you through us. We love you. We praise you. We all glory and honor with our life.
Christ be unto you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We sit to partake, not out of disrespect, but because the work of Jesus Christ is finished. And so we partake of this first element, representing Jesus Christ's body that was broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. We take the second element, the fruit of the vine. I'm going to ask Tom if you lead us in prayer. Our precious and heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you've done for us, the shedding of the blood, the giving up of your own son, that we can become partakers with you, that we can be called children. forgiven of all of our, our sins. We just thank you and give you the glory and all the praise for the shedding of your blood of the blood of your Son. May you redeemed us out of the pit and brought us into your, your presence. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. amen. <coughs> Take the second element, this great news, but it speaks to much more than that, doesn't it? Where Jesus talked about his blood shed for us. Right of Hebrew says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we know that wages of sin was death and that without being forgiven we would have had to pay the price ourselves. but Jesus paid it for us the innocent for the guilty let's drink to that new covenant in his blood Ask the men to come back around and and uh, pick up the cups. <clears throat> 